On today's episode of A Story in a Chat, we'll be exploring the topic of teachers as the forever essential workers. It's going to be a good one, so settle in and happy listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Story in a Chat, the podcast where you will hear mine and other perspectives on topics that are important to all of us. I am your host, Aisha Iqbal, and I wholeheartedly believe that conversations can bring people together in the most beautiful ways. I've created the space to do just that, and I'm really excited to share this next perspective with you today. So let's get started, shall we? I started the fifth grade halfway through the year because of the timing of our move to the U.S. from Khartoum, Sudan. I was made fun of for calling an eraser a rubber and raising my hand with my pointer finger in the air. Thank you, British school system. I was laughed at for wearing the same pair of jeans every day. Of course, I lied about it and said, I have 10 pairs of the same jeans because I didn't want to tell the truth about my family not having enough money to buy me more clothes. But I wasn't fooling anyone. I was also bullied by a girl because her boyfriend liked me. I didn't even know who he was until she started harassing me. Needless to say, these experiences made me go even more inward than I already was, and I dreaded each minute that I was there at school. But somehow, even through my attempts of not being seen or heard, she did manage to see and hear me. Miss Lawson, my fifth grade teacher at Cowan Avenue Elementary School, approached me one day and planted the seed that I should compete in the school's upcoming speech contest. I'm sure the very thought of it petrified me. Having to stand in front of people, many people, and say stuff? I don't know how she did it, but she got me to agree. She partnered me up with another fifth grade teacher, who I'm kicking myself for because I can't remember her name but her face is forever imprinted in my gray matter. It was with their help that I wrote, memorized, and belted out a speech in front of the whole school. I didn't use a mic, so I was literally yelling out how I have a dream to help the whole world become a better place. No one was more surprised than me when it was announced that I won the speech contest. Those two crafty believers also managed to push me to enter the running for school president. My best friend at the time co-signed the idea and egged me on. I completely dismissed this because I was using that time to prepare for the regional level of the speech contest, and I didn't want to invest anything into the presidential race. Plus, the most popular white girl in the fifth grade was running, and there was no way I wanted to compete with her. She actually had more than one pair of jeans, and they were way cuter than mine. But I reluctantly entered and half-heartedly created a poster and some flyers with the slogan, don't let your brain go for rent. Vote Aisha Iqbal for president. Now, before you judge, please remember that I didn't want to run in the first place and I'd clearly used up all of my creativity for my Martin Luther King style, I have a dream speech. So when I was told to take the announcement to every class, oh, I was also the office messenger at that time. So when I had to take the announcement to every class that I'd won the school presidency, I did so in utter shock. I couldn't even reply a thank you back to the teachers who congratulated me as they handed back the message. For the longest time, I've kind of joked about how I peaked in the fifth grade because of my amazing successes there. But now when I look back, 
those two amazing women planted some powerful seeds in me. They so clearly saw my potential. Even now, when I think about them, I do so with tears of gratitude in my eyes. They helped a scared little brown girl who wore the same pair of jeans every day blossom in ways that even surprise my own family. Today, I'll be speaking with Dana Thomas about the challenges our teachers face today and why we should care. Dana is a former Baltimore City public school teacher turned founder of a global initiative to support the mental health and wellness of educators. Her organization, Happy Teacher Revolution, is on a mission to increase teacher happiness, retention, and professional sustainability by providing educators with the time and space to heal, deal, and be real about the social emotional demands they face on the job. I reached out to Dana because I've been following her on Instagram since I started my personal branding journey a couple of years ago. Her work to promote self-care for teachers spoke to me on so many levels, and I knew that I needed to chat with her to get her perspective on teacher life. Is being a teacher a thankless job? (laughs) It is absolutely a thankful job. I think I get the most thanks as a teacher from the kiddos. I think it's a thankless job when it comes to some grownups, but from the students, that's where so much of my joy and like realizing the impact comes from. But I, you know, I also, this is from the the perspective of a kindergarten teacher. So I was getting hugs all day long, even if they screamed at me and said I was a monster first thing in the morning, like by the end of the day, I love you, Miss Thomas. Oh, and then if they saw me after school, even if it was right after the bell rang and I'm just like outside by my car instead of Miss Thomas, Miss Thomas, Miss Thomas. I'm like, you're so excited to see me. I feel like so grateful that you're excited and thankful to see me, but you were just acting <laughs> like some sort of something a couple hours ago in that classroom. So how about we follow directions from? So anyway, it feels like a thank it feels like a thankless job. Honestly, when I first started teaching, I started in Southeast Asia. I taught English, conversational English in two orphanages. I lived in Southeast, in Cambodia for a summer. And in Southeast Asia, the culture around education is so different than the U.S. in terms of how teachers are seen and supported. And teachers are held in such high esteem. It's like it's higher than doctors and lawyers, basically. And so I come in as, you know, I'm at the very end of my college career. I didn't necessarily think I would go into education, but this experience honestly transformed my life. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be a teacher. But here's why in Cambodia, when teachers walk into the classroom, it's customary for all the students to stand up, start applauding, standing ovation, and then a student would bring me a glass of water. And then the day would start. And I'm like, this teaching gig is great. I'm going to try this in Baltimore. (laughs) And it wasn't the same. So (laughs) it was, but honestly, in so many ways, it was better because it was such a blessing to be able to teach in Baltimore city schools for seven years and to work with so many incredible educators and families and folks in the community. And I learned so much about myself, but what I learned more of was the stress and demand placed on educators. Because really my inspiration for going into the classroom ultimately was the difference that my own teachers had on my life when I was a student. And when I was in high school and college, I suffered from crippling depression and anxiety and panic attacks. And I was really good at putting on the smiling face, like everything was okay. But deep down, like I was one of the people that wasn't okay. When you see those things that are like, check on your friends that seem like they're okay, because sometimes 
they are hurting too. I was one of those people. And the the individuals who checked on me and who I consider my emotional first responders are my teachers. And so it was my teachers in high school and college who recognized those subtle changes in behavior as warning signs and encouraged me to get help and to seek treatment. And they, you know, provided life-saving differentiation and accommodation for me academically when I was in crisis. And without them, I, I wouldn't be alive today. So they're the reason that I went into the classroom and once I became a teacher, I was like, oh my gosh, they didn't prepare us for X, Y, and Z in terms of the emotional demands of the job. And also in terms of working with students who've experienced trauma firsthand. And trauma in a child's life can mean any number of things, whether it's losing a pet or losing a parent or moving neighborhoods, moving countries, experiencing a global pandemic or a natural disaster or witnessing an act of gun violence, any or all of the above, right? So I very much felt like teachers didn't have the opportunity to connect with one another and to also support their own self-care, mental health, and wellness, because if they're not taking care of themselves, they're not going to be able to recognize those subtleties um, in their kiddos. So then my next question just seems so callous in the view of what you just shared with me, but we hear that, we hear this proverb that those who can do and those who can't teach. (laughs) What the hell is that? (laughs) I know, right? It's so funny because it's like, just because everyone was a student thinks that they can be a teacher, you know? And it's just like, just because you went to the doctor doesn't mean that you can be a doctor. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, and it's just, teaching is the hardest thing in the whole world because it's the most rewarding, but it's, it all, it's so challenging because gosh, humans are unpredictable, especially humans who are learning how to be humans can be somewhat unpredictable. But also, I think in terms of the content and the demands and how to prepare our little people to grow up to be big people who are ready for this world in terms of having the acumen of innovation and being a self-starter and grit and perseverance and, you know, just the technological advances that like, how do we even prepare people for things that haven't even been invented yet, like two years from now? But I think in terms of teaching, I mean, it needs to be an attractive profession because first of all, we're leaving teach, we're losing teachers at an alarming rate. And I think that it, what's happening is our teachers, unfortunately, are on the cover of Time Magazine for selling their blood plasma because they're not earning a living wage. And so our teachers are not esteemed nearly to the value that they deserve to be. And I also think that now, given the circumstances, so many of us are starting to experience a little glimmer or glimpse into the demands of being an educator. I think in terms of happy teacher revolution, the language that we use, we say teacher is anyone who is in a relationship intensive profession or caregiver relationship intensive capacity with that of a child. So we work with people who are and train individuals to lead Happy Teacher Revolution meetings who are bus drivers and nurses and school secretaries and veteran teachers and soon to be teachers. uh, Because I think what really it's all about is this idea of taking care of ourselves, taking care of one another and, and seeing one and supporting one another with a level of respect, I think, because really like what that quote reminds me of is just, you know, teaching is, it's the oldest and most esteemed profession there is, right? Like, there's influencers on YouTube and Instagram, but the OG influencers are teachers, you know? They're, they're right. number one. 
So you mentioned that your first teaching experience was when you were in Southeast Asia and you quickly recognized the different value that are that is put on um, a teacher uh, a, a knowledge share there right I think of kind of sensei that term and it's a very revered term mm-hmm. so what do you think is a difference why do we value our teachers the way we do here in the US versus the rest of the world or even in like Eastern Asia hmm. I think there's a lot of politics behind the profession. I think specifically, like when we talk about the U.S. and even teaching right now is a predominantly female profession of white women. So 70% of teachers are white women. And I think, you know, even in terms of training to be a kindergarten teacher, 50 years ago or less, part of the required classwork was was to be able to play the piano to, for sing-alongs and things like that. And so it's just really interesting to think about, too. And when you look back, um, there's some documents. I, my, my cousin was at this museum in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and there were documents about, I don't know if it was a union contract or just teacher agreements, that it had to be a single, unmarried woman who was the teacher. And so I think so much in in terms for us to unpack in terms of some of the gender inequities behind the profession, racial inequities behind the profession, the fact that only 2% of teachers are men of color, the fact that we're seeing higher burnout rates for our teachers of color, we're seeing higher burnout rates for our special educators as well. So I think there's a number of systemic injustices that play, play into that. And, you know, I also think that the demands of the job are shifting so much and the teacher preparation has not kept up with those demands. And what I specifically mean by that is when we look back to what back to school time looked like for teachers 20 years ago, right? So teachers come to school and they convene in the building before the kiddos show up and they might have a week to set up their classrooms and talk about, you know, the curriculum and plan for the year and things like that. Nowadays, when it's back to school time, well, who knows what it'll be going forward. But now, let's say in 2019, back to school teacher readiness and preparation included how to recognize signs of mental illness in your students, how to recognize signs of abuse and being a mandated reporter for um, child protective services and how to prepare for an armed shooter in lockdown drills going forward. So it's just like, whoa, <laughs> There's, there is very much, I think, such a need for our teachers to support their social emotional learning. What I mean by that is for our teachers themselves to develop relationship skills amongst each other, to develop self-awareness, social awareness, those types of things, uh, because we can't model that to our students and support our students if we're not doing it ourselves. So there are many stories. I know for me personally, there are stories where teachers have played an an uplifting role in my life, but equal amounts of stories where people have also rooted their trauma back to an early teacher experience. Ooh, yeah. Right? Where yes, big time. people will say that, oh, I remember my teacher saying, I will amount to nothing. You know, we hear a lot of that. So both sides of the aisle, can you help me understand that perspective where a teacher may say something like that? Like, I would love to understand the teacher's perspective. Where, where is she, most likely she, coming from? That's such a great point that you bring up. And I think about the ripple effects that teachers have and what that looks like, depending if it's a happiness, joy, 
inspirational ripple effect, a la Miss Honey, or if it's a ripple effect, what's her name? The church bull, the chokey, you know, the one who swings the girl by the pigtails, right? And you're absolutely right. And so I think in terms of happy teacher revolution, from our perspective, you know, we're like, wait, time out. Where is the opportunity for people to step back and reflect internally about if they are perpetuating any, any traumas themselves of maybe something they experienced as a child and now they're the adult in this role. I think that speaking from my own perspective, I was not the best version of Miss Thomas when I wasn't taking care of Dana. And when I wasn't taking care of Dana, there was times when I did not recognize Miss Thomas and she would say and do things that I am ashamed of to this day. And like, even that happening was the source of moral distress of like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm, a, no, I'm not aligning to my morals or personal principles by, by the way that I'm acting or reacting to things. But if we go back to, okay, why am I acting and reacting to things in that way? Did I get a full night's rest? Did I actually eat breakfast that morning? Or did I just have some sugary coffee drink and now my, I've spiked and then I didn't eat lunch because somebody called me in the office and then a parent you know, wanted to meet with me and then I had to pick up the kiddos and then someone threw up on themselves and then there was a fire drill. And then, you know, it's sort of like, and, and when you look at it, you know, I think that is what it really boils down to for me as in the perspective of Happy Teacher Revolution is like, especially when we work with children with trauma. So if a child has experienced trauma or is experiencing ongoing trauma, you know, the best thing that we can do is to arrive at that relationship with patience and kindness and understanding and pre-forgiveness. So like this idea that like, it's not personal. This child did not wake up today just to like, oh, I'm going to get Miss Thomas real mad. I want to make her face turn red and I want to see if I can get her to yell. You know what I mean? Like that little child did not wake up trying to, trying to just irk on my nerves, you know? who knows why or what reasons or, you know, what they're walking through the building with, what's, what had happened to them that morning or the night before, maybe they walked, saw something on the way to school or whatever the case may be, or maybe it's the anniversary of something that happened one year ago that we don't even know about or whatever. So I realized that like the best thing I could do instead of staying up late and doing lesson plans and cutting things out and trying to do all the things perfectly and update my social media page and make sure I'm whatever, it's like, the best thing I could do is take care of myself and just arrive in those moments with patience and kindness so that I didn't flip my lid. Because one of the things that we say in Happy Teacher Revolution is that an escalated grown-up cannot de-escalate a child. And so, you know, the times where I think to myself all the time, like, I hope I, in that moment where I like wasn't taking care of myself and I popped off or I wasn't kind, that like, that's not the one thing that that kiddo remembers for the rest of their life about kindergarten to Miss Thomas, you know, and chances are, you know, that, you know, I, when I ask them at the end of the year, what was your favorite part? What do you like about kindergarten? They're like, lunch. Like, oh, great. <laughs> so I think, yeah, it really is for me. I wonder, you know, what is the job satisfaction of the teacher that might have said or done nasty things or like the ripple effect outward was negative you know, we want to give teachers permission to leave the profession if they are not finding joy and happiness in this work anymore. You have permission to leave, you know? And so, and I think, you know, that's really what we're all about is helping folks reclaim their happiness and joy and to find that spark again. What you just described is something that you would think is intuitive to people that you, it's hard to compartmentalize life, that 
for me, eight o'clock, I will stop being mom and I will now become worker B, employee ID number, blah, blah, blah. I should equal at work. And then at five o'clock, I will turn off worker B, da, 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 and then turn into mom again. It, it doesn't happen that way. We are who we are in everything we do throughout the day. And the point that you're making, which is so important, is that who we are in and out of the home, in and out of work, is so important to everything else that we're doing. So if we are unhappy, if the teacher is unhappy, Miss Thomas was unhappy about something at home, or Dana was unhappy about something at home, Miss Thomas is going to show up to work with some of that lingering, if not a lot of it lingering. So my question was going to be, why is self-care so important to teachers? And you've already answered that. It's because the consequences of them not taking care of themselves are much greater than many other roles out there in the world because they are, their ripple effect is so much greater. It's equivalent to a parent's ripple effect, right? (laughs) Essentially me as a mom, I'm handing my kid over to you to be a surrogate mom like for the rest of the day until I pick them up. So the ripple effects are huge for what you do and and your fellow teachers do because you are unknowingly impacting so many lives in ways that you may not even know. Mm -hmm. And for who knows how long. Right. Right. Who knows right. if it's going to end up in a rap song later about my teacher, you know, I, and there's some of my favorite of my hip hop playlist, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, yes, like take that, you know what I mean? Because I think I really, and I want to celebrate and uplift the teachers who are making a difference, but not necessarily in a way that is like unrealistic or unattainable from like a self-care sustainability standpoint. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's funny because I, I posted on Mother's Day a meme about, you know, happy Mother's Day to all the teachers who are accidentally called mom. And I've been accidentally called mom all the time. And I would laugh and that kid, I would just be like embarrassed and be like, oh man, did I just do that? And I'd be like, oh man, I'm not your mom. You know, I get to, I get, you get, <laughs> I drive away at the end of the day. You know what I mean? But, but, but really we don't, you know, we don't really drive away at the end of the day. Like we carry that with us. We drive home. We're thinking about it during dinner and all this. And if you were me during the year that I founded Happy Teacher Revolution, it was when I had 39 kindergartners in my classroom in Southeast Baltimore. And I was tossing and turning at night trying to figure out like, why isn't there class size limits? 39 seems wrong, you know? And I can't believe there's size limits for daycares, but not kindergarten classrooms. And I have to teach them how to read. And, you know, we don't even have enough chairs. Like, what do I do? I'm supposed to fundraise for another, you know, like, it's just, it felt like it never ended. And so one of the affirmations that we use in Happy Teacher Revolution is I choose to disconnect and detach with love. So this idea of, you know, setting that boundary of disconnecting and detaching from a place of love to not carry it home or to not take it with you or feel like you have to hold it and carry it to separate it from a place of love. Like, I love you so much that I need to disconnect and detach so I can be my fullest self tomorrow. And so it, it is really challenging. And it's easy for me. To, I'm, I'm saying all this stuff as if I've mastered it. Oh my goodness, no. You know, it's, it's really challenging, especially um, given the present circumstances that teachers have found that it has this total upending of their lives and this ability, you know, they haven't been able to unsegment their lives, right? So now there isn't the commute from school to work or school to home anymore. It's just everything. There's no dining room table. The dining room table is the classroom. That's what one teacher told me recently is my dining room table is my classroom. And so, you know, now I think it's even more challenging and even 
even more of an importance of why teachers need something like Happy Teacher Revolution to help support their self-care and wellness. We started talking about this earlier, but I want to revisit this because it was such a huge impact, not just on the country, but it's just like the gun violence and the mass shootings. How has that impacted teachers? And what is it that we are, it's just like, it just makes no sense to me how overnight we think it's so easy. My perspective, just to say, okay, all teachers need to be armed or teachers start doing these safety drills where you're teaching kids how to hide in closets. And I mean, that, that stuff is just so trauma inducing. Everything about that is trauma inducing. So please talk to me about like, what has this done for teachers and what did you experience? What did, what were you hearing? What were you seeing, seeing during that time? So I include a photo in my presentations when I talk about trauma specifically in different examples of what trauma could look like, whether it's a hurricane. I talk about the uprising in Baltimore with Freddie Gray when it was declared a state of emergency. I include a photo of my students that I had taken the day after. It was my students in Baltimore, but I had taken the photo a day after the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. And to be a kindergarten teacher during that time and to see those babies' faces on the news and to know myself that I would go to work every day and take a bullet for every single one of those children in my classroom, no question. Like teachers have always known their first responders, but I believe it was that moment that the rest of the world realized that we're first responders, that teachers are first responders, principals are first responders, guidance counselors are first responders, that like, you know, I, I believe our children and our teachers deserve to be able to go to a place to safely learn and to know that they're safe. And it is gut-wrenching to know that our middle schoolers, our 12, 13-year-olds, don't know what school's like to not practice for an arm shooter. To them, it's like a fire drill. They don't know what it's like to not... It's, it's crazy that they're the experts, actually. They have the most practice. And it's really sad when I think about when I moved classrooms and the first thing I thought of when I walked into my new classroom to set up my classroom for the year with the bulletin board paper and all that, I'm looking to the cubbies and I think, oh, great, this is going to be great because the cubbies are tucked away, away from the windows. I can have a procedure where every kiddo goes to their cubby quickly and sits in it so that way I know exactly who's missing when we were practicing for the armed shooters. And I'm thinking, oh my God, like why is that something that even crosses my mind or that I have to consider as an educator, but it is. And it's something that our teachers face. And so I think I'm getting just like goosebumps just thinking about it is that it's like, it's not just the time that it happens of the incident or the trauma, but it's like every time that it happens thereafter and every time it's the anniversary of that day. And like every time we just think about, you know, what our teachers are facing and what they're willing to sacrifice, it's like, we go into this knowing we're not going to get paid a million bucks. We go into this knowing that we're probably not going to get all the awards and the certificates and the pats on the back. Like we go into this knowing that we might lose our lives for someone else's child. And we do it because we love it. And unfortunately, there's so many people who go into this work for the right reasons and who are doing amazing things and changing lives every day. And like when you see an amazing teacher in action, it's magic. It's just pure magic. And it breaks my heart to think of all the great teachers who are walking away and who can blame them. Have you done an analysis of kind of the reasons, the biggest reasons why teachers are leaving? Mm, so number one reason is pay. 
And that's about 20, I think it's 27% of teachers report like that being the highest reason. But right behind that at 19% is burnout. So the two biggest reasons teachers are considering leaving are low pay and high stress and, and burnout. And so with Happy Teacher Revolution, what we're aiming to do is to support teachers with both of those things. So at first I went into this like, okay, our teachers are burnt out, they're stressed out. I want them to feel less alone because when I was struggling with mental illness, like the hardest thing was feeling like I was all alone. And the most empowering thing was just knowing that like there's other people who've been there or who felt anxious too. And so really it was like this consciousness raising movement of like inspired by the civil rights movement, the women's liberation movement. Like I was like, all right, we're going to get together and be less alone. So that's how it started was really addressing like the burnout factor. But I think what really was incredible was, you know, when I decided to make the leap of working on Happy Teacher Revolution full-time, I had taught for seven years with Baltimore City Schools. And I was like, listen, I told my parents, I'm like, listen, I'm going to walk away from my tenure job and my health insurance and all these things because I have this idea. It's Happy Teacher Revolution. I think that this is the solution and answer to ways that teachers are really seeking support. And I became a full-time entrepreneur. And it was through the Johns Hopkins Social Innovation Lab after winning the Hopkins Social Innovation Lab that I realized like, it's not just burnout I can help teachers with, but I can also help them become entrepreneurs themselves and to earn income. And then they can use that income for their own self-care and wellness to take care of themselves because unfortunately they're not getting paid what they deserve. They're on the cover of Time Magazine for selling their blood plasma because they're not earning, earning a living wage. They have student loans. And our teachers are striking and, and they're, they're doing as much advocacy as they can, but the system isn't changing fast enough. At least I don't think so. And so I wanted to create an avenue or a path for teachers to become entrepreneurial, to help lead these meetings, but also enroll more educators into the opportunity of leading these meetings and have the chance to actually generate a side hustle for themselves so that they can pour that money back into themselves and keep going. So part of me thinks that, why should they even have to do that? Why should they get a side hustle, you know? But I think there, for, for someone who also has a side hustle, and but thankfully I, I do have a job that does pay me well, I do the side hustle to fulfill my passions. And so it's from that perspective that I applaud the effort to help these teachers create their own side hustles because yes, it's for monetary purposes, but there's a sense of empowerment that comes from that. There's a sense of fulfillment that comes from that. So if that they're feeling fulfilled in one area, they don't necessarily need to find that in their actual work. So it's just like a different kind of positivity that is imbued in everything that they do. So I'm glad, I'm so happy that, that you're doing that. I feel like every woman definitely should, should have a side hustle mm -hmm. just to just kind of broaden and expand, you know, her own horizons. But anyways, I, I would just keep talking about that. But I totally agree with you. And I think the thing about teachers is that they volunteer themselves so much. They volunteer their time, they volunteer their money, they volunteer their energy. And I believe that part of the systemic injustices that have happened in terms of education equity in our country specifically, like we've taken advantage of teachers and their willingness to say yes to everything and to do it all and to be the default. And so, you know, I'm advocating for teachers to actually be compensated for the work that they're doing. And I think that's where the real power lies is that, is that our women, you know, need to lean in and to, 
to recognize their worth for their time and that that's what I want to compensate them for because I think that teachers have been too willing to volunteer themselves and that it's been taking advantage of. And also, you know, there's so many teachers like I was who was who were operating within a toxic system. You know, Happy Teach Revolution does work with large school districts and teacher prep programs and folks who are more visionary in terms of investing in teacher professional development to become pilot sites for us. But we're also working with teachers who are who are trying to operate within a toxic and broken system who might not have the support of their principal or who might not have friends at work and who are getting bullied at work and delete their social media account. You know what I mean? So like we're trying to support folks from both ends in terms of the systemic change of like, how do we get happy teacher revolution in terms of support for every new teacher, whoever comes into this school district, but also like how do we help teachers right now for Monday morning who are operating within a toxic or broken system and, and compensate them both for the work they're doing. Who's doing the bullying? Who's bullying teachers? Right. So 80% of teachers actually report feeling bullied at work. It's that high. An even higher amount have like witnessed it if they haven't experienced it. And so what those numbers tell me is that, you know, it's teachers against teacher crime a lot of times. Like it's not just, there's great principles out there and great leadership and great administration, but there's also not so great. But there's also something that we're doing to each other. And so I think what's happening is that the bullying's happening because here's my best guess. The data-driven obsession in education has dehumanized kids, but it's dehumanized teachers too. So if we're all just numbers, like we want our grades to be higher than the other class, because even in some districts, at least the one that I was working in, like our test scores determined our salaries and not only our own test scores, but the test scores of other people in the building collectively determined like our salary and how much we got paid, whether or not a child even came to school or not, it didn't matter. The test scores were determined everything. And so it's like, it, it could become a potentially like very competitive environment amongst other teachers. You know, there could be different like shaming tactics going on in terms of like, oh, well, she leaves when the bell rings. She never stays late and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know, the contract says this, so I'm going to do, you know, if I get it done at the end of the day, how come I don't get to go home? You know? So I think the bullying Gosh, I mean, I think there's workplace bullying that happens in, in all different types of professions, but I think in teaching, there's, there's so many like loaded layers of it too, because I think we also, when we work with kiddos all day long, it can feel that we can be treated like children as teachers ourselves. You know, when we get called to the principal's office. I never got called to the principal's office as a kid. Ooh, I got called to the principal's office as a teacher. I was always speaking. I was always the one that was, you know, but <laughs> what did they call them? The ones at the um, whistleblower. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, I, so that's, that's part of it too. <laughs> that is, it, yeah, I don't even know where to start because when you were talking about the bullying, it made me think of kind of similar similar stories that we hear in the nursing profession where nurses are also being bullied. Again, a different conversation for a different time. But I wanted to ask about environment and the rise of the digital age and digital making its way into the schoolrooms. How do you think having education become more digitized, how could that help teachers, if at all? So one thing that we've noticed in Happy Teacher Revolution in terms of what we're doing becoming digitized, which actually we digitized in 2017. So this was something that we rolled out 
in terms of our online training and online support in 2017, because the benefit, number one benefit for me is access. So people can access um, these opportunities to help support their self-care, their wellness without the other like limitations. And so, you know, when I started Happy Teacher Revolution, it was very much like, okay, we're going to meet up, we're in the circle, this is how it goes, this is what we'll do. And when our first big piece of press came out in education week, that's when I heard from people all over the country, all over the world saying, hey, we want to start one of these meetings where we are, our teachers are stressed out in California and Oregon and Tennessee and Canada and Australia and West Africa. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm teaching full time. How do I help these people? And the answer was going digital. So it has been really powerful just in terms of not only folks accessing the opportunity, but also connecting with each other too. Like how cool was it the first time when we gathered together as an online cohort to be like, oh my gosh, we're all launching these things where each of us are respectively. Each of us have totally unique communities. Each of you are the experts within your own community. So how can you use this framework and adapt it and differentiate it for to best support the folks where you are? And so that's the other thing too, is like equipping individuals to be the leaders and to initiate themselves rather than me coming in, pretending like I'm the expert of what their or why their teachers are stressed out and plopping it there and hoping it sticks, but really like equipping folks with the opportunity to roll this out without me having to go and fly out and they have to buy all this stuff and whatever, you know? So I, for me, it's, it has been all about access. That's actually fascinating because it's a, that could still be applied in the classroom, right? Where if we're digitizing the coursework, the teacher then essentially becomes a facilitator rather than a, you have to learn this and you have to learn it this way. The child has the resources at their fingertip to go through the course as many times as they need. And then they go to their teachers to ask questions. So it's exactly what you just kind of described where you're not out there teaching these workshops to these various people. You're giving access and then you're help. You're, you're just helping to guide along. Mm-hmm. So that and we do both. Like we do the workshops too, but we, we've been able to adapt it based on what folks crave or want like right. some people do want the self-paced thing and they can go back and watch and I think that to me like that I really love that way but I also like the idea of like accountability check-ins and we've done that right. too more like a live class because I need somebody to like call me out every now and then and be like hey what pay attention you know right. and we also do the in-person when when we were, were able to meet in person we did the in-person but but that's also transitioning into a retreat two to three day retreat for sites um rather than doing them in person, connecting digitally. So, yeah. So what are today, the past couple of months, what's happening in the world, and even in the past year, right, where we talked about gun violence, what are the glaring messages that we are getting about our education system? And what do we need to do about it? Hmm. I think what is most glaring is the huge disparity in terms of the achievement gap, just the kiddos who are able to access the technology and information to keep learning in this completely like shifted and upended version of education that we're in. I think some of the biggest things have been this idea of like what's not in our control. I think teachers feel really overwhelmed by all the things that that's out of their control, whether it's like, this is the curriculum you have to 
use, or these are the things you have to do, and you got to make sure you do X, Y, and Z, and then you got to, you know, watch all these videos, and you have to help the kids with the technology, but you also have to help the parents with the technology, and you have to help each other with the technology, and, you know, it's this idea that, like, it, this feeling that there's so much out of our control. And so with Happy Teacher Revolution, there's a number of things we incorporate in our meetings, whether they're our choices, like I choose to be grateful, I choose to get outside and get moving. No matter how the school year started, I choose to finish well. We also very much are grounded in the research and, and a process of using affirmations at the end of our meeting. So things like I'm proud of myself for, I recognize the courage it took for me to or I'm grateful for, um, because I think what teachers are facing now specifically with the online learning is that like all the things they said, I, I had these post-its uh, all on my wall of like teacher quotes, whenever I'm talking to teachers, I'll, I'll write little sound bites down. And one, one teacher says, all the things that suck about teaching have been drawn out. <laughs> so it's like the best part is with the is the kids, right? Like that's what we love the most is being with the kiddos. But it's like the things that suck are drawn out. So like, oh, the assignments and following up about this and sending the email about that. It's like, oh man, like, I just want to do my slime lesson and talk about the phases of the moon with the Oreos where we scoop out the icing, you know? So I think that's what has been really challenging for teachers. And also that like now I think there is a disconnect between some, like some of the leadership and, and teachers in terms of, you know, our educators have never gone through a pandemic before. They're trying to make it work. Some of them are parents themselves trying to make it work with their own kiddos. You know, some of them are taking care of elderly parents who knows if the virus has personally affected them or someone, a loved one. But now I'm hearing from teachers that their principals are like, oh, what time is this and this? We're going to drop in and observe you. And we're going to give you feedback on this. And it's like, you didn't observe me all year, but now we're in a pandemic and you want to top on my Zoom. Okay. And, uh, and so that's, that's another thing is, is also just, you know, what are the expectations of teachers on Zoom? I've had teachers share with me that like, parents expect the teacher to discipline their child. They drop their kid off in front of the computer and they're like, all right, I'm going to be out. So see you later. The teacher's like, what? Are you kidding? And I even had a friend who teaches um, in New Jersey. I'm not going to share her name, but her principal jumped on one of her Zooms or watched her video and gave her feedback that her hair didn't look, her hair needed to look better. And <laughs> she looked like she rolled out of bed. <laughs> and my girlfriend goes, she said she's divorced. My girlfriend goes, well, I'll show my principal I'm going to wear my old wedding dress and put my hair extensions in. <laughs> I said you should. <laughs> so the expectations is ridiculous, you know. That's that's the kind of stuff I'm hearing. I don't even know where to go. I know. It's like, that's like, where do what I even... hell? I know. I oh. know. I know. Okay. So I'm glad that you, that you kind of help me segue into this next question. Me as a parent, what can I do to help you as a teacher, as my child, you know, starts going to school? Because you're right, you know, that example that you gave, um, I'm just going to plop my, my kid down in front of Zoom and off you go. It's essentially I'm treating you like a babysitter, right? Mm. But you're not, you are a teacher. So what, what are my responsibilities as a parent to my child and to you as my child is going through the education system? Well, I think the number one is that, you know, a parent is a child's first teacher. So that's number one. It's just like knowing that. And number two is that like, we're all on the same team. So like, 
teacher and parent wants kiddo to do well. Like we're all on the same team. And I think that concept was very different like 20 years ago, or at least like the way I was raised, it always seemed to me as the kiddo that like my teacher and my parent were on the same team, even if they weren't like my perception as a child was that they were. So I think that's really important is the messaging between parent and teacher is that like, we're on the same page. These are the assignments, these are the expectations. So these, you know, this is what Miss or Mr. So-and-so expects and this. And, and also I think for parent and teacher, for us to be like mutual, right. For like both of us to know that healing doesn't happen in isolation. We got to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first in order to take care of, you know, kiddos and those around us. I think the other thing is that like boundaries are a good thing. So communicating to one another, like these are the hours I'm available and I'm happy to respond to your email. I'm not available after 8 p.m. on weekdays. I'm not going to be at my computer on weekends. This is a practice, you know, and even explaining why, like I'm not on my work email on the weekends because I believe that this will help me be, you know, more in tune and, a better educator come Monday morning. So I'm happy to reply then, you know, so it's just sort of like setting like those, I guess like the boundaries and expectations going forward. I think, you know, the other piece of advice too would be just to hold one another with grace and kindness. Like there's two big things like pre-forgiveness and assume the best, I think are really important. And just knowing that like no one has practiced in this before. We don't know how to do this. And we're, we're all figuring this out together. And having those opportunities, I think too, like if there's any way to build in a routine when you do check in, like having a practice when you first have a parent-teacher call or conference or email or just saying, offering up a positive thing or a piece of gratitude or, you know, answering a question around, you know, what's one thing that you're grateful for or something, you know, just, uh, I think embedding opportunities for the social emotional learning, again, those pieces of like self-awareness, social awareness, relationship skills, because behind a screen, we can only do so much. And so when we are with that kiddo in person, whether it's come fall or who knows next year, when teachers have that opportunity, we're really just hoping that our parents right now with, with kiddos are fostering those social emotional learning skills. So that's really where we're at, like in terms of supporting like the emotional piece of things. Right. I think, I mean, that advice is applicable even post or pre-pandemic, right? The social, mm-hmm. social emotional learning there because, again, I hear stories. They're obviously great stories, but then the dark side of the stories is that parents come blaming the teachers, like if yeah. the kid isn't doing well or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, and the kid picks, up, picks that up too. Mm-hmm. So you come yeah. in, I mean, I grew up with, you don't question authority. So anytime the teacher said anything, my, my mom and dad were very much in line with that. Now there needs to be some balance there. It's okay mm-hmm. to ask questions, but there's a way to do that in a way that you're respecting all parties. And mm-hmm. that learning should come from an adult uh, or that teaching should come from an adult first. So thank you so much Yay. and good luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Story in a Chat with me, your host, Aisha Iqbal. Before signing off, I want to take a moment to reflect on this conversation and bring it back to my everyday. For as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a teacher because I love children and I wanted nothing more than to help them become the best they could be. I wanted to have a meaningful part 
in creating a better humanity by positively impacting humans as early as I could. Life has other plans for me, and although I'm not a school teacher, I carry the utmost respect for those that are and believe that they are the creators of a better future for us all. I want my daughter to have the uplifting experiences I've had with teachers in my lifetime, but I understand that as a parent, I have a huge role to play in those experiences as well. I wholeheartedly agree with Dana that this is a team effort between the teacher and parent when it comes to providing the best educational experience for the child. I definitely want to play my part. So to my daughter, I promise I will maintain a loving environment for her, a place where she can always feel safe. I will show her how to be curious so she can develop an appreciation for learning. I will not be perfect, it won't be hard to do, but I want her to know that it's okay to make mistakes. She will see me reading a lot because the best adventures to be had are the ones in your own mind. I will prioritize rest for her so she knows how to do it for herself when she's older. I will do my part as her parent to make sure she enters school as a whole person because no teacher should have to fill in those gaps for them. Please tune in next time when I continue to explore this wonderful world of ours through the art of storytelling and discourse with other wonderful human beings. Until then, keep your mind clear and your heart open so you can hear your own truth. Also, if you enjoyed any part of this conversation, please consider writing a review saying as much and share this out as a gift to others in your circle. Toodles! Toodles!